Did you come through the narrow gate? Well, let's find out today on Changed by Grace. Welcome to Changed by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. Today we're looking at Jesus' warning in Matthew 7, 13, and 14. What was that warning? To make sure you entered the right gate in the right way in order to go to heaven. There are two gates and two ways presented. Which gate did you enter? Well, let's find out as we look together at Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Well, this morning, take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This morning, we're going to look just at two verses in Matthew 7, verses 13 and verse 14. As we see today that there are two gates and two ways in which the gospel is presented, but only one will lead to heaven and the other one will lead to hell even though both are marked as the way to heaven. Matthew chapter 7, it says in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, there are few who find it. Jesus is bringing this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, to a climax. And as he does in many cases, he brings each of his listeners to a decision, to a crossroads, to a place to where they need to choose, and they need to choose wisely because the choice that they make is a life and death matter. Here Jesus has just been talking about in this sermon beginning in chapter 5, it begins with the way into the kingdom by the Beatitudes that are mentioned there in the first 12 verses, and then he talks about the way of the kingdom from that point on. Chapter 6, he talks about those who are giving and those who are praying, that they need to make sure that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. When they're praying, they need to come to that secret place, enter into the closet as they pray, not to be doing their giving or their praying to be seen by men, because he says that they will have their reward. But in chapter 7, he deals with it all interesting question that people will normally usually phrase as a statement that uh, you're not to judge. But yet in chapter 7, he talks about judging, and he talks about the issue of measuring your life before you go and get the speck out of your brother's eye, make sure you get the two-by-four beam out of your own eye. And then, as I said, he brings this to a climax, and everything he says in verses 13 and 14 is pointing to this whole issue of life and death. It's this whole issue of choosing the right way. Because if you'll notice here that he mentions that in this gospel application that there are two gates, there are two ways, there are two destinations, there are two groups of people. He goes on to say that there are two kinds of trees, two kinds of fruit, two kinds of groups at the judgment, two kinds of builders who are building on two kinds of foundation. And Christ is drawing the line as clearly as possible between the way that leads to destruction and the way which leads to life. Now it's very important to note that he is not talking about necessarily a religion of paganism versus a religion of Christianity. What he is talking about, though it encompasses that, he is talking about two roads that are marked heaven. You talk to the average person today and they believe that they're going to heaven. I've never been to a funeral, and I don't think it would be appropriate at a funeral to say this, is that that person is now in hell. Because I believe it doesn't matter at that point. Because once you leave this life and once you enter into eternity, it's sealed forever. Nothing can be changed. 
You could want it to change, but it's not going to happen. You could hope it would change, but it's not going to happen. What you are in this life is what you will be in the next. And once you enter into eternity, it's permanent. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter what group you join. You can join a, a group that has the largest genealogical records in the United States, and they pray for the dead. Or you could be part of another church that believes that one group goes to a place called purgatory, and then you pray and get them out of there. The Bible says that there is two gates, two ways, two destinations, and not everyone is going to heaven. As that one spiritual says, not everyone talking about heaven is going to heaven. And how do we know that? Because you look down at verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he announces in the end of verse 21, those who will go to heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. These are the people who have humbled themselves, according to Matthew chapter 5, who have come with a brokenness of spirit, who have come to Christ in Christ alone for salvation. They're not trusting themselves. They're not trusting their deeds to get them into heaven. They're not trusting how good they have been, but they're trusting Christ in Christ alone. Christ in His righteousness, because they know that their righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. So as Linsky says, let us judge ourselves according to the gate and the way we enter it. So the question is for us this morning, which gate did you enter? Did you enter the wide or the narrow? Because again, there are only two, and one leads to destruction, and one leads to life. Well, notice again verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate. Again, two roads marked to heaven. One is narrow. One is a road of divine righteousness. The other one is the broad road of human righteousness. And here Jesus says, you have to enter. You have to enter. You have to go in. You have to move in. You have to pick and choose the right way. Do you remember that game show that used to be on TV and they would tell them to pick door number one, door number two, or door number three? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not a person that really likes a lot of choices. When I go and pick up medicine at the store, I do not like seeing a whole aisle of medicine. I just want something that works. That's all I care about. And I don't want to have to read all of them. And then I don't want to have to Google to find out what is the comment about this particular medicine. I had to go get something yesterday, and I was thinking, man, that's pretty expensive. I wonder if they have a coupon that I could download to my phone. And I'm standing there, and Hannah's with me, and she's playing with her, her doll right there. It's went from shelf to shelf. And I'm standing I must have been standing there 20 minutes trying to get a coupon, a $4 coupon. I was going, that's gold, you know? And I said, you know what, I've had enough of this. I walked away. And I was picking up cell papers for my wife, and I walked in. I said, let me look in there. And there it was, in the cell paper. Why didn't I just go there first? But again, choices. We're all people who make choices every single day. And I know that we are people that don't like changes. And the older I get, I don't like changes either because it messes up the stability of our life. But here Jesus is saying right here that you do have to make a choice to enter. And when he uses this word here, he uses it as an eritus imperative, which has this urgency of entering the narrow gate. And once you enter, you're in. So he says that you have to move into, you have to come into, you have to enter it. The gospel is a call to enter the right gate. And the scripture has always given sinners this 
crossroad of choosing life. Listen to some of these passages that talk about that. Moses said in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you, and I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose what? Life, that both you and your descendants may live. Joshua 24, 15. Joshua did the same thing to the children of Israel. And he says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Josh, or Jeremiah 21, eight. Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, behold, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. Again, the choice is there. The choice is there. The Scripture has always, though, given man that choice, and he has always charged man with the responsibility of his rejection of Christ. John MacArthur says, Choosing life or death was also emphasized by Jesus. The one who believed in him had the promise of eternal life, while the other who refused to believe faced eternal death. Every person faces the same choice. Now, I say that, And equally, I could say that you cannot make the right choices. Why would I say that? Because Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says that we're dead in trespasses and sins. I've never seen out of any funeral I've ever been to to see that person rise from the dead and walk out of the room. But yet, Scripture pictures all of us in that same condition. Before Christ, we're dead in trespasses and sins. We're called to choose Christ, but inevitably, we can't always make that right choice, can we? The Bible says that before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians 1.4, that he chose us. Or just like the verse we read last week from 1 John chapter 4, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. So our ability to love him, our ability to come to him, is based upon election. But yet at the same time, God puts us responsible for hearing the gospel, for responding to the gospel, for repenting. The Bible calls us to repent. And it says it over and over. Listen to some of these other passages. Jesus said to the Jews in John 5, 39, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify me, but you're not willing to come to me, that you may have life. See, they weren't even willing to come. And this certainly sums up what John 1, 11 and 12 says. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But those who received him, to them he gave the right or the authority to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So you have to enter. And you have to enter the right gate. Notice he says, enter by the narrow gate. So you must enter the narrow gate. This is a command from Jesus. He's demanding action right away. This is the time to enter. This is what God is calling for, and you have to do it. It's not an option. It is a command. And so when you're preaching the gospel to people, you don't say, well, come if you like. Jesus understands where you are. No, it's a command. There's urgency here. The Bible says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade all men. We beg them on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we do it with much urgency. Because as the Bible tells us even here in Matthew 7, verse 15, there are false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You have false prophets who come in there presenting another way. But yet, at the same time, that different way that they're presenting, they're labeling it also heaven. So again, you have these two 
gates. You have one that is narrow, one that is wide. And Jesus is giving this command to enter this narrow gate. And this gate is narrow, and it certainly doesn't leave any other room for any other view of salvation. Salvation is in Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. It's not by any other means. And even Paul over in Galatians 1, turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. And Paul said over in Galatians chapter 1, as he spoke to these believers there in Galatia, in verse 6, he said he marveled that they were turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there was some who trouble you and they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But then he says, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. See, there is only one gospel. If you have somebody coming along saying that they have something new to proclaim, a new way to get to heaven, run as far as you can and as fast as you can from them because what they're about to say is a damnable heresy. See, one of the problems about the cults coming to the door, yeah, that's a problem, but the other problem is letting them in. You're saying, but I want to witness to them. Well, witness to them as the door is swinging closed. They've heard it all. Their choice has been the way of destruction, even though it's marked heaven. Now, should just anybody talk to them? Shall everybody talk to them? Well, somebody does need to talk to them, present the gospel to them. But if, if you're one who is not solidly grounded in your faith, I urge you to just close the door and walk away and pray for them. Because they will certainly prey on you and they will take advantage of your lack of understanding in some matters. But again, Jesus says that we have to enter this gate. Christ is the only way. The way is narrow. There are no alternatives. You have to enter by an act of the will. You have to enter by an act of faith. You have to enter on God's term through God's prescribed gate. And as we sang that verse this morning from Acts 4.12, this is what we proclaim. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He says in John 10, 7 that he is the door. And he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. I believe at this point Jesus is challenging his audience. He's challenging the Jewish people because many of them saw themselves as righteous. It even says in Luke 18, 9 that the Pharisees trusted in themselves that they were righteous. But inside, according to Matthew 23, 28, Jesus says that they are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And Jesus says to the self-righteous that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the self-righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. So Jesus' teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount is a challenge to self-righteousness and the self-righteousness of the Jews and the self-righteousness of people today who believe that they are righteous enough to go to heaven. But again, you cannot enter the kingdom unless you come on the terms that he describes. You must abandon your self 
righteousness. If you go back to Matthew 5, you must see there that you are a beggar in spirit. Verse 3, you're mourning over your sin. Verse 4, you're meek before a holy God. Verse 5, you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Verse 6, again, you have to enter on his terms. And one person said, hell will be full of people who admired the Sermon on the Mount. It's like Jonathan Edwards said that the entrance to hell is through the portals of heaven. People talking about heaven aren't always going to heaven. There are people that are self-deceived. Well, next he says, you must enter the narrow gate alone. Now, this is implied in the text because the word narrow gives the idea that it's very narrow. Some commentators have even compared this to a turnstile. You've seen that when you go to certain places like downtown that they will have the turnstile and then you have another door that's wide. Here's a good example of this. You can't carry everything into that spinning door. That's why they have the wide door next to it. It's a good example of this. You you can't come in with all these preconceived ideas about Jesus that are wrong. You've got to drop it all, and you've got to come on His terms, and you've got to come believing in Him and Him only. You can't think of Him as just another teacher or a good teacher. You've got to see Him as God. The Bible says you have to confess Him as Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus est in curios. He's Lord. And you have to confess him as that. And according to 1 Corinthians 12, 3, you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. Again, we, we see this mixture or a paradox here that in one aspect of this, that you have to be chosen before the foundation of the world. You have to be drawn to God through Christ, through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. All of that is John chapter 6. But then at the same time, you read these other passages that give us that responsibility that we have to come. Now, my understanding is simply this. You're coming off what you're hearing. And God has chosen to call the elect through the preaching of the gospel. That's how you come. You hear it. God activates your faith and you come. You can't come on your own. Even my friend years ago... 31 years ago, a guy I played in the band with, he called me up one night. He said, Steve, I gave my life to Christ. It didn't happen in a vacuum. He'd been witnessed to a hundred times. It didn't just happen. We'd been talking over and over and over about giving his life to Christ. Another person in the same group did the same thing, and he gave his life to Christ, and he's now doing missionary work in France. He'd been doing that for years. But it doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up one night having never heard the gospel. Because the Bible talks about that if you don't in, react to the seed as it's been sown on your heart, Satan will take it. He'll take it away. You have to respond. And, of course, when you look at all of this, you see that this, this whole issue here of salvation comes with great difficulty. I remember sitting in a church years ago when we lived in South Carolina and we were attending a church before I had started pastoring. And I remember the pastor saying it was very easy to get saved. And about came unglued from my chair. I didn't hear anything else after that point. Because I thought to myself, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to give up drugs. I was a drug addict. It wasn't easy to give up drinking. I was a drunkard. I needed divine help. I couldn't do this on my own. I prayed a thousand times to come off of something. I'd come off of one thing and I'd go heavy on something else. I needed the divine work of the Spirit in my soul for that to happen. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, it may sound simple and simple enough for a child to do that. 
But as the older we get, the more things that we pack onto our life, the more things that we accumulate in our lives, the more baggage that we carry. And so to come to a narrow gate, you have to drop everything. And yeah, I know we're speaking in metaphors here, but you do have to drop everything that you believe about what is the right way. And you have to come to the Scripture, come to the Word of God, come to the gospel that has been proclaimed to you and embrace that as being the only way. It's not Christ is one of many ways. He is the only way. And if someone is looking for another way, they're going to be surprised when they wake up in hell. Because Jesus is the only way. In Acts 16, verses 31 and 32, this is after Paul and Silas had been in jail and they were singing after being beaten with rods and their hands and feet were fastened in the stocks and they were singing hymns to God, the Bible says, and all the prisoners were listening. All of a sudden, an earthquake occurred and all the chains fell off of all the prisoners and the doors to the prison flew open. The jailer had been asleep. And he runs in there, and he's assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, so he drew out his sword, ready to commit suicide, but Paul stops him. He says, we're all here. Now, a miracle occurred in that jail. Did that miracle occur for anybody else to let Paul and Silas walk out? No, I believe it happened for that jailer there, that Philippian jailer. Because what happens after this tells us that his whole household got saved. Some people think that this is household salvation, but it's not that. You, you can't get saved for your household. I can't get saved for my kids. I wish in many ways that that would be so. But it, every person has to make an individual commitment to Christ. And we hear that in Acts 16 when he says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. So it's individual. Now again, this is great difficulty. Salvation is by grace alone, but it's not easy. In fact, if you look down at verse 14, it says that the narrow gate is difficult. It's confined. The ESV translates it this way. Difficult is the way which leads to life and few there be who find it. It's difficult. That's the word Philippo. Philippo means to press or to press hard against. It's a word that's used to speak of trouble. And when we go through trouble and trials, we have this great, tremendous pressure that's pushed on us. That's the word he's using here. It's nothing easy about coming to Christ. It's nothing easy about entering the narrow gate. Listen to some of these verses and you tell me if it's easy. Matthew 10, 38. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Does that sound easy? No, because the cross was an instrument of death. Jesus says in Matthew 16, as Matthew records this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life and lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Does that sound easy? Or how about Acts 14, where Paul says that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. See, we think it's just going to be easy. Some people think it's just one highway of roses into heaven, and I would contend to say it's not a highway of roses, though they are there, but it's more like a highway of thorns. Jesus says that you have to search for this. He tells us that there are few who find it. 
Luke records in Luke 13 when he says to strive to enter the narrow gate. Strive, there has to be this agonizing, which is what the word strive means. This is basically echoing the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 29, 13, Jeremiah said that, actually God said this, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. See, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2 that God has written his law, his moral law on every person's heart. Therefore, man is without excuse. And even though I say that a person coming to Christ has to be elect and drawn to him, we don't know who the elect are. And like Spurgeon would say, he preached to everybody. And you call all men to repent. I believe in both. Because the Bible gives both. But in order for you to repent, you have to come to that word that you're hearing. You have to seek it. You have to search after it. Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Do you seek after the Lord? Do you search for him? Next he says you must enter the gate unencumbered. You must enter. You must enter the narrow gate. You must enter the narrow gate alone. Next you must enter the gate, the narrow gate unencumbered. You can't come with a lot of baggage. You have to come alone. You have to be stripped of everything. And the narrow gate is certainly a gate of self-denial. Maybe you go to Matthew chapter, chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, very familiar Story here, beginning in verse 16 of the rich young ruler. I want you to notice some of the things in this exchange of words that are going back and forth between Jesus and this rich young ruler. Beginning in verse 16, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. But if you want to enter into life... Keep the commandments. If he was taking this test in seminary, Jesus would have flunked out. Keep the commandments? Really? He said to him, which ones? And he said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He gave six of the ten commandments. Why did he do that? Why did he tell him to keep the commandments? Keeping the commandments will not save you. You can't be saved by the law of God. But understand this, as Paul said in Galatians, it's the law that was the schoolmaster that brought them to Christ. It's the law that points out sin in our life. The young man says in verse 20, All these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? First of all, he didn't admit the fact that he just broke one. You should not be a liar. Because he was lying. Ask yourself, have you kept the Ten Commandments? The Bible teaches that if you break one, you broke them all. Today's message was taken from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It's called Two Gates, Two Ways. This message is available on one full-length audio CD for a gift of $5. Or you can download the free mp3 from our website by visiting us at www.changedbygrace.org. While you're there on our website, I'd like to encourage you to listen to our series called The Genesis Record. It's 20 mp3s on the subject of origins and the first three chapters of Genesis. Well, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope that you'll join us again next time as we study from God's Word. Hi, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. 
And I would like to invite you to our 11 o'clock service this morning at Eastport Baptist Church. We're located at 1322 Eastport Road in Ocean Way. We are biblical, expository, and reformed. So I hope that you'll join us and worship with us together. I hope to see you then.